Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're listening to My Millennial Answers. I'm Glenn James. This is... John Pigeon. And today we're answering some questions. The first one here, and this is an interesting one, John. I always find mm. these questions interesting. Jasmine asks, how to manage your money when relocating to a new country? Yes. So, I mean, relocating, we'll assume that it's permanent. Uh, it's a permanent relocation. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you probably say, John, to that? Well, the logic in me tells me that I'd probably look at the exchange and, and what's, how much is my Australian dollar going to get me in my new country. And, I mean, the principles remain the same, don't they? Yeah, that's right. right money in, money out. Have I got buffers? How much am I going to earn over there? Have I got there? a systemated or automated system? Yeah. Do I have multiple um, accounts? So. The difference is we're just in a new country with uh, with different um, different money rates and and how much can I earn over there? Like I was in the UK for twelve months and and I was on less money, but the pound the the cost of living was a lot cheaper, so I was actually saving more than when I was back here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you know if you are relocating, what I would probably do first is definitely leave a bank account open in Australia. I presume that you're living in Australia at the moment. So, you know, if you are a citizen here, you know, you're always going to be a citizen. I take it. So, you'd want to leave an account here always and you could get an online bank or something like that that has a no-fee account. Yeah, I was going to say, do you, do you keep... Do you have a, an international bank account, essentially? Well, I, I would keep a local bank account to start with yeah. in Australia. Or, as well as another one, yeah. In because you, you know, you've if you're from Australia, you're going to have uh, family here. You probably be back visiting or whatnot. Yeah. So, and there's going to be stuff that you're cleaning up for a year or so yeah. after. So, yeah. you know, you might go, oh, I forgot to cancel the insurance, mm. and then you cancel it, and they you tell them that I oh, actually sold the car six months ago, and they'll yeah. recredit you back from six months. So, True. there'll always be little housekeeping things. Moving money overseas, it depends how much you've got. I mean, if you've got to move 500 grand overseas, I'd probably be inclined to speak to a wholesale Forex trader. So, yeah. not just going on to transfer wire, wires or something like that, whatever yeah. that company is, but try and get a wholesale transfer rate, yeah. which might be cheaper overall. Yeah. And then I would also not do it in one lump if I didn't have to. Mm. So, if we sold our house in Australia and we had 500K, I'm just making up numbers, you know, can we transfer that money monthly for the next five months or six months just to average out the rate? Yeah, so you get a... If it spikes in one month and drops the next, you get the average. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so that's what I'd probably say. Like, when we invest, there's the term dollar cost averaging. So, Mm -hmm. instead of investing, you know, 100 grand or 10 grand or 1 grand straight away, 
we might go, well, we'll transfer half of it now. Yeah. And then over the next six or 12 months, whatever your appetite is for risk, yeah. then we'll slowly just drip feed it monthly. So yeah. then we're smoothing out the peaks yeah. and troughs. Interesting concept, isn't it? Because a lot of people would just think, oh, let's just get into the market or let's transfer all my money and get yeah. on with it. And it's, it's another discussion. You can't dollar cost average into a housing market. So you've no. got to really make sure you've got the right uh, market before you pull the trigger. But yeah. yeah, essentially managing your money when relocating to a new country, I would probably speak to a financial advisor who specializes in expats yeah. because they're really going to help you with the some of the nuances is that a word? Nuances or the nuance of yep. um, being an expat. And then certainly you'd want to get some advice locally. Yeah. Now, in terms of, and this is a very interesting one. So, in terms of, say, I'll give you an example of one thing that you have to cross a bridge at some time would be your life insurances yeah. and income insurances. So, I've got a, a client who moved to LA yep. for good, but the contract that I set up for them on income protection, they're guaranteed renewable. So they'll, as long as you keep paying the premium, your situation can change. Mm. And that person was in an accident in LA and we still claimed on his income insurance in Australia. Okay. Even though he wasn't working, he hadn't worked here for some time. Uh, but it, it comes to a point with your life insurances, you know, if you are re- relocating and calling the States or Europe or wherever it is, you know, the UK home for good, you'd make that judgment call about, okay, well, now I'm going to get investments locally here. Yeah. Am I fully blown or am I just here? Yeah. And I was talking with somebody the other day, they were relocating to Australia from the US and they've got their permanent residency in Australia. They're doing the citizenship thing. They're going to call Australia home. Yeah. So they had an investment account of $300,000 or something like that. Yeah. They've begun the process of selling down that portfolio in the States right? and bringing the money down and investing here because they'll be a resident for tax in Australia. So Mm. they want to set up their life in Australia. So I think it's one thing at a time, nothing's urgent. Yeah. And if in doubt, go and, you know, if if you've relocated overseas for work, it could be a different circumstance than I've married someone in another country and I'm moving in, moving there, and they've got a, a, a network of friends and family, right? Mm. So, it could be easy to go and rent or live in someone's basement or garage yeah. to get settled. But if it's a, a long-term career thing, you know, and you don't have a network of family or friends or whatever on the ground, yeah, I certainly would be renting somewhere just to get a vibe get for a the feel. place. But, yeah. again, nothing I don't think is urgent. No. Nah. And... Yeah, Jasmine, it's just one thing at a time and just get advice in either of the countries. Yeah, that's it. And understand the pros and cons. Like I had a a client move over from Ireland a a few years ago and they had property over there. Ireland. (laughs) Ireland. Do they call it that? Yeah, they had property over there and and it it really underperformed and the market was pretty flat, if not uh, lower than flat. Um, But they decided that the yield was actually okay, so... I'll move to Australia, keep that property and, and hopefully get some uplift while, while it's over there costing them nothing to hold and, and it's worked out fine for them. Yeah. But could have easily made a rash decision, let's just cut all ties and sell everything. It can be complicated if you make it complicated, but yeah. just do one thing at a time. It's yep. you know, just 
walk Prepare. down the garden path. Oh, that's what I was going to talk about, John. Superannuation. So the superannuation laws in Australia, if you're a resident here and a citizen and, you know, you might have built up a $30,000 or $20,000 or $100,000, whatever your super balance is, yeah. if you relocate overseas, you cannot access your superannuation until you reach preservation age and meet a condition of release. Mm. Now, the reason why that's the case is because even 15 years ago, people were moving overseas, clearing out Cashing their super, in. and then they're still a citizen or a resident in Australia. Yeah. Go live abroad for where for however long. <laughs> Come they back. catch their super and then, oh, okay, we're retiring now. We're going back to Australia and get the age pension safety yeah. net. So, the government have gone, well, you know, if you're a citizen and you have superannuation in Australia, yeah. you've got to keep it until preservation age. That's not such a bad thing. It's not bad because you're mm. keeping your dirty mitts off it. Yeah. And you'll find the money elsewhere if yeah, you need it. So. That's right. Mm. Cool. So, good luck, Jasmine. Mm. Danny Lowe asks, I have no debt, but low on cash and assets. I'm nearly 40. Is it worth trying to get into property? You're the property guy, apparently. Well, <laughs> apparently the, sh- the short answer to that would be yes, but you obviously need cash or equity to go and buy a property with in today's market unless we can get a parental guarantee or, or something similar. So, yeah, the answer is yes, but you've got to have a goal to aspire to. So, if you want to buy something for 400 grand, then you need your 10% plus your stamps and costs. So, you might need 60 grand. So, then work your way back and, and look at a time frame as to how quickly you can save your 60 grand um, is probably the the most basic response I can give there. Yeah, I, I would probably say, and I love these questions because you get one line and like my <laughs> yeah. mind just wanders. You know, you're almost 40, you've got no debt, you're low on cash and assets. So, I'm just in my mind, I'm assuming that maybe... Over the last 10 years, you've had a heap of debt. You've cleaned up your debt. Had some fun. Had some fun. You're like, all right, I've got to grow up now. Yeah. What do I do? Like, you've got to press reset. Or conversely, I've had no debt ever, and I'm just really crap at managing my money. Yeah. So, I would not focus on trying to get into property. I would focus on being a good money manager in your own life. And that means systems. It means getting a budget, a spending plan, whatever it is. Yeah. Prove to yourself, and this is assuming you're working full-time hours, we've got to start, let's have a target. Let's try and save $1,000 as an emergency fund. I mean, low on cash, I don't know if that means I've got $10 or $10,000. Yeah, yeah, we're reading into a few uh, Yeah, but here. you're nearly 40, you, your kids may be growing up. We don't know, but at any time in your financial life, you can press reset yeah. and go, what do I want my future to look like? Yeah. So... Age does not discriminate with money and behaviours. No. But the sooner we get onto it, the better. Yeah. And, so, and the more information we get in these questions, the more we can elaborate probably. But but yeah. I, I don't want too much information because I don't ever want to be accused of personal financial advice. So, <laughs> keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And uh, I suppose the thing is, we this person may be sitting there saying, well, I've enjoyed my 20s and 30s. Now I've, I'm actually disciplined and ready to go and I've got a plan of attack. I just, I'm maybe asking, do I go and buy a property as my first option right now? As you said, if I've got a hundred dollars, if I've got 10 grand, what do I see as low cash, right? It might be your first part of it is go and buy yourself a share portfolio or something like that. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Focus on becoming good at managing money as your goal. 
don't yeah. focus on I need to save money and buy a property mm. because if you just focus on becoming good personal finance money manager yeah. of Danilo Incorporated, yes, uh, that's the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, that's right. And and to to wrap it up, yes, if you went and bought a property because people see that as a safe option, you could have it sitting there for the next twenty years and it'll do its thing. Um, so. Yeah, there's no downside in that, uh, but you've got to understand your numbers. You need to get into it in the first place. Yeah, and I think like a lot of these questions, like, yes, we want all our listeners to buy an investment property. Yes, we want all Mm. our listeners to own their home. Yes, we want all our listeners to invest for the future. But we're all at different stages and we've got to somehow stop, press restart and maybe clear, do a knockdown rebuild and start again. Not literally. Maybe. Maybe literally, yeah. This is an interesting one. Jessica asks, is it ever worthwhile taking out a small loan of 5 to 10K to invest in stocks? Mm. You're more of a stock man than me. Well, John, I'm an investor. I don't discriminate between property and stocks. I know you discriminate. But... I don't discriminate. <laughs> That's a harsh word, isn't it? Yeah. Well, okay, so... What would you do and what would I do? Probably two different responses. Let's give them both, shall we? Sure. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I personally, I wouldn't. Mm. Um, why? Well, you're right. I do focus more heavily on property um, to go and invest something in or, or go and to borrow money into something that I'm not 100% sold on is probably not my thing but for someone that researches it hard every day they might say well i'll, I'll get a 5k loan and and go and put some into some good research that i've been doing around that yeah you? i'm yeah i'm not doing it no because like if jessica's working full-time as an example i'll make a number up and the good thing is our listener the median income is 70k mm. the average income is 75 yeah. So if she was earning sixty grand, even right, borrowing five to ten k to invest in stocks. Yeah. I mean, it's such a low amount of money in the scheme of the next five years of your life, right? Totally. So why wouldn't you just focus, like I said before, become a good money manager, yeah. and then we'll have surplus build up because we need to know how much to live on, like how much it costs to exist. Mm. But I guess the crux of my point is the reason why people think that is that they say, "Oh, I read that." This stock or this index fund did 32% last year, which, you know, I think if you look at Afterpay, it probably did that or 100% or whatever it is. So, if I can borrow money at 12% Mm. and it's a personal loan, so it's unsecured, okay? If I can borrow money at this much and I can get a return this month, this much, it makes sense, right? Yeah. But the logic is, Jessica, why don't you borrow $200,000 and invest in stocks? Mm. And then all of a sudden, you start feeling faint because of the risk. Yes. So, what I would say is the reason why we don't want to do that, we want less payments in our financial life. Now, if you're looking at borrowing money to invest a small amount, it means probably you might not have your money under control. And the reason why we don't want to set a trail of payments is because your your circumstances may change. So, what that means is, you get the personal loan of 10 grand, you invest it because you're not managing your money correctly or you might be, but mm. something changes, crap, I've got to pay that debt off because yeah. I can't 
service it, I've got to sell the stocks anyway. Yeah. And right. the stocks could be worth less than the 10 grand. So, it's yeah. just fraught with danger. Yeah. So, I'm presuming... But I love the thinking about how do I invest in stocks and how do I start. Yeah. I'm presuming that she's taking out a personal loan, not um, borrowing from the banks to invest in stocks which are guaranteed against the stock. Yeah, so it's secured. not a... Yeah, like a margin type yeah. loan. Yeah, and that's like a whole other topic which we might actually do in the new year. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be unpacked with that question if you're going to, you mm. know, really go to town. Yeah. And just quickly, Sheridan asks, we're trying to get out of debt. We have cut up our two credit cards. So they've cut the cards up, uh, but they've still got the balances, one with BOQ and one with... Citibank, and they also have a personal loan. Uh, the total sits at about twelve grand. Is it worth ever consolidating into one loan? Mm, I know your response on this one. Yeah, and mine, mine is similar. I think I, I would. You've just got to get them, get the debt out of your life. I mean, whichever way you look at it, you just got to wipe it. Um, I would, I would not consolidate. I would just look it in the eyes and and take the highest interest loan first and get rid of it. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, I'd probably do the opposite. Yeah. Everything comes back to personal money management and the risk of not... And I guess the theme of this is become a good manager of money. Mm. The risk of this is you consolidate the loan into one payment and they might, the bank might even get it cheaper, John. Yeah. So, it's a cheaper payment. Yeah. But they've pushed out the term another year. Yeah. So, you might end up paying more interest overall. Yeah. Now, the risk of doing that, it feels cute. It feels warm and fuzzy that we're so sophisticated that yeah. we've consolidated our debt. It just sounds beautiful as well. Yeah. Consolidated. Yes. But the risk is you think that you've done something, but you haven't. You've just moved the debt Shifted over it. there. Yeah. And if you haven't worked on the behaviors... I can guarantee, and I've seen this over and over again over the last yeah. 10, 12 years, that in another two years, there's another credit card, there's another personal loan. Yeah, it's like transferring your balance to a, yeah. a 0% credit card, isn't it? Yeah. Like it doesn't so, change the issue. I would probably do the debt snowball, which is line up the three debts, mm. smallest to largest, Yeah. put all of them on minimum payments, and focus on the smallest balance first, regardless yeah. of the interest rate. Because, John, if you started a new diet and you did not get results within the first short amount of time, yeah. would you continue the diet? Probably no. And the risk is putting the highest interest rate one first. That could be a larger balance and you might not get the emotional wins straight away. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but I think we we're agree, on the same page. We agree that, that we don't consolidate. We don't consolidate. We just um, attack it with a vengeance. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, sure, if you're an engineer and a nerd and you think the highest interest rate first and all that, yeah. I'm like, well, if you're that smart, you wouldn't have that high interest rate to start with, so <laughs> shut up. Don't be harsh. Yeah. <laughs> Was that rude? Nah, it's cool. Yeah, but mm. it's all good. I love these questions. Great And questions. I hope this episode's just encouraged you to, pick, and this is the thing, become an expert at personal money management. For you. For yourself, for John Pigeon Incorporated, for Glenn James Incorporated. That's you, right. You're your own company. Make it lean. Make it agile. Yeah. Make it easy. We've got to go. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.